echoes of violence in South Surrey. And I just saw a guy crouching and spitting. How another targeted shooting has rattled the community with little information from police. Eviction day for another tent encampment. No unhoused resident here was spoken to directly. The fire risk that was the final straw and what residents say about their next move. And a wave of frustration on the Sunshine Coast. And then all of a sudden, everybody's illegal. A battle over waterfront properties that could have province-wide implications. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. A Surrey roadway is still blocked off, and the neighborhood is buzzing after a daytime shooting caught on camera. We'll tell you right now, some of the video might be disturbing. Troy Charles joins us now from Scott Road and 84th Avenue. Troy, this certainly looks like another targeted hit. Chris, it feels like I've been using the phrase brazen shooting quite often recently. And here I am at the scene of another one at the corner of Scott Road and 84 Avenue. And the moment that this shooting took place was actually caught on surveillance video at a nearby business. Let's take a look at that right now. Here we see a dark colored SUV pull up beside another vehicle. That's when the shots ring out from the passenger side window and the dark SUV speeds off after that. The victim's driver's side door opens up as the white Tesla backs up. You see the victim's car roll backward and stop at the parking lot exit. The injured victim then staggeringly exits, exits the vehicle. Police say the call came in just after 1.30 this afternoon. Officers arrived on scene and located a man suffering from gunshot wounds who was transported to hospital with serious injuries. Many road closures are still in effect here with police tape blocking off a large portion of the intersection. Now, just after 2 p.m., RCMP were notified of a vehicle fire roughly 20 kilometers from the site of the shooting near 99A Avenue and 179th Street in Surrey. Police are investigating to determine whether the two incidents are related. Now, back at the scene, we spoke to a witness who saw the shooting. They did not want to appear on camera, but said they called 911 when it happened. I called 911 right away, and then she asked for a vehicle description of the one that took off, and then asked me for, for a vehicle description uh, of the one that got shot. So she said if it was safe, if I felt safe to do so, then I'd go around and have a look at the vehicle. So I went around to the driver's side, and I just saw a guy crouching and spitting. Chris, you can see the victim's vehicle is still behind me here. Police tape all around the area. Investigators on scene taking photos. And the plaza, the parking lot of the plaza where this happened, we have a church's chicken, a pizza shop, a dental office, right next door, a bowling alley. This happened on a Friday afternoon at 1.30 p.m. in a very public space. With all those bullets flying, it's, it's lucky that this wasn't much worse. So true. Troy Charles reporting in Surrey. Thank you, Troy. Now, a South Surrey home shot up on Thursday morning is raising fears for many in the sick community. Fortunately, no one was hurt. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, in the absence of police information, speculation is running rampant about the motivation behind the attack. Three bullet holes in the Tesla. One. The back window of a Tesla in the driveway shattered. Bullet holes in upstairs bedrooms 
and evidence markers littered across this South Surrey home. What looks like a frenzied attack was carried out by two men. Surveillance video that Global News has seen shows two men walking into this cul-de-sac, talking on a cell phone, before unloading more than a dozen shots at this home. Fortunately, no one was injured in this shooting, and uh, we are working with the family, and they're cooperating. According to neighbours, the home is rented by Simranjit Singh, an associate of Hardeep Singh Nijar, a community leader advocating for a separate Khalistani state in India who was murdered in broad daylight at the Guru Nanak Sikh Gurdwara last June. The community saying this is another attempt by the Indian government to use violence to silence overseas critics. As it stands, there needs to be more research done into India's interference, uh, not just in elections, but in these targeted shootings and these killings. The local Sikh community says there is no indication Singh was tied up in recent extortion plots or tied to any other conflicts. This individual has no business leanings of that sort. He's not a very like wealthy individual. He's received no phone calls that were like either blackmailing or extortion related. Uh, so none of that actually happened. It was just straight coming to his home and shooting it up. Unlike Niger's murder, the gunshots seem indiscriminate and from a distance. Bullets fired at both the ground floor and upper floor windows where a six-year-old boy was asleep. There's, there's a lot of upside with it, and especially when the information came out that it wasn't just like a couple warning shots here and there. While there are allegations that this shooting was politically motivated, that has not been confirmed by police in Surrey. In fact, police have said precious little about this file. It's leading some to question whether safety concerns in this community are being taken seriously. I have confidence that the RCMP has the resources and the capacity they need to be able to uh, do this investigation and ensure those responsible are brought to justice. The Sikh community calling on the federal government to give representatives standing at the inquest into foreign interference. At this point, the motive for the shooting remains unclear. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Two disturbing back-to-back -back attacks today injured two women, including a B.C. Crown Council who suffered serious injuries. Now, Ramina Dea is outside the courthouse at Maine and East Cordova streets. And Ramina, this happened even though the lawyer had a security escort. Chris, what happened today has rocked the justice system and it's raising serious concerns about safety for all participants in the court system. So let's rewind to this morning. It was roughly nine o'clock when the Crown prosecutor had parked her vehicle in a parkade that was close to provincial court. As you mentioned, she was being escorted by a security guard to the courthouse, which is at 222 Main Street. Now, this is part of Crown Council's Safe Walk program, which uses security guards who are unarmed. They do not use sheriffs from the courthouse. Now, Global News has learned that the prosecutor was attacked by a random person. She was punched in the face. There was a lot of blood. She was taken to hospital. Apparently, she has been released. Now, that suspect took off and assaulted someone else just a short distance away before he was arrested. We don't believe that the suspect and victims know each other. Um, we don't know what led up to these assaults. We don't know what the motive was. Um, early indication does indicate, you know, there could be some uh, mental health challenges for the suspect. Uh, but again, it's still very early. Um, we did make an arrest. That suspect is still being held in custody and our officers are working uh, to really piece the, um, all the evidence together to present the best package for Crown Council.
I was uh, profoundly disturbed uh, to hear uh, that one of our Crown prosecutors was assaulted in uh, Vancouver today. Uh, I have been uh, told that she is receiving medical care and the safety of uh, the participants in our justice system, and I don't care if you're a Crown counsel or a defense lawyer or a judge or a sheriff or a clerk, uh, our justice system to work uh, needs to ensure that the people who run it are safe. I am uh, reaching out to our Attorney General. I know that she and her team will be looking at what we can do to increase safety. Now, as you heard there, the Premier says that they are going to be looking at what they can do to increase safety. Now, one of the biggest questions I'm hearing about today that's being raised is why this Crown prosecutor was being escorted by an unarmed security guard and why she was not using one of the sheriffs from the courthouse. The sheriffs have actually had their own program in place here and where they escort judges, they escort registry staff, other participants in the provincial court system. That system's been in place for over a year now so definitely more to come on this story back to you chris many questions that need answering ramina dea thank you very much that's for me ramina reporting for us in downtown vancouver richmond rcmp are providing an update on a collision where an overheight commercial vehicle hit the roof of the massey tunnel causing structural damage now this one happened january 10th you might remember it it was caught on dash cam video the truck and trailer hit the roof about mid-span. When officers responded, the vehicle and its driver were gone. The driver has since been identified, though, as a 30-year-old man from Surrey. He's been ticketed for failing to remain at the scene. The carrier was issued an immediate suspension pending an investigation. All 20 of its vehicles were grounded for 10 days. They were issued violation tickets totaling more than $2,300. B.C.'s education minister says the province is doing everything possible to train and hire new teachers. Rachna Singh defended her ministry one day after Vancouver educators and unions warned of hundreds of cases where no replacements were found for absent teachers. As Richard Zussman reports, educational assistants are often pulled into those classrooms, forced to abandon the students who really need them. Yeah. Do you have to win them? It's becoming all too familiar for Tamara Taggart, her son Beckett staying home from school. Kids with disabilities are constantly left behind in school or don't even go to school because the support for them isn't there. Beckett's stay at home comes on the heels of Vancouver teachers ringing the alarm bell. Data showing just in the fall more than 400 blocks of high school teaching were left short-staffed leading to librarians and education assistants being moved from their roles into the classroom. We're starting from a place of discrimination and we're starting from a place of, you know, a hierarchy of which students are more important. And what that means is that our most vulnerable students aren't getting service. When asked about the lack of teachers and EAs across the province, Education Minister Rashna Singh said on Friday that the province is trying to hire more teachers and EAs, but there's a global shortage. And we are always looking uh, to, uh, like, looking for ways to recruit more. And it's not just concerns around EAs putting pressure on the Vancouver School Board and beyond. The union is getting set for another round of contract negotiations and is calling for teacher wages closer to other provinces. 
For a teacher starting in primary education in Manitoba, the salary a little more than $61,000 a year. In Alberta, the second highest, it's nearly $59,500 per year. BC, all the way down in seventh at nearly $56,000 a year, compared to Quebec at the bottom at just over $52,000. We're seeing challenges with recruiting teachers into the profession and we're seeing the workload really have an impact on teacher wellness. And so what we'd like to see is better support for our students. Support Beckett and so many others both need and deserve. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The city of Penticton is facing an unusual dilemma, the possibility of closing schools despite a growing population. The reason? An increasing number of seniors are moving to the city and not young families. The local school district says student enrollment has decreased 36% since 2001, and that is not expected to change significantly over the next 20 years. It is a bit of an anomaly in, in the province. Uh, we have the data that, that's showing that this community and the surrounding communities does not have growth in school-aged children. The city of Penticton says it's working to attract more younger families to the area, trying to create a more balanced community. Crews moved in to dismantle the remnants of an encampment at the north end of the Oak Street Bridge in Marpole. The province issued a no trespass order last week and part of the camp had already burned up in a fire. Alyssa Tebow has the story. Friday morning, heavy machinery started pulling apart an encampment at the end of the Oak Street Bridge. Contractors hired by the province removed piles of garbage and propane tanks amid protests. I'd like them to be here for a little longer. Um, the community around here has shown a significant amount of support. This housing crisis was not caused by unhoused people, and it's time to stop punishing unhoused people. The portion of land is controlled by the Ministry of Transportation, and last week a trespass notice was issued, the province citing serious safety issues. Days later, on Saturday night, a 46-year-old woman suffered smoke inhalation after a fire started in a tent and spread to a tree. At the time of the fire, advocates say five or six people were living in this encampment. By this morning, only two were left. Did they go to a shelter? Did they go to house? I'm not sure. People, people get scared out of public space every single day. One camper who's built this tiny home says he's been living in the area for two years. Both remaining campers say they want more time before the trespass rule is enforced. Justin believes a shelter wouldn't work for him with all his belongings. If they, they force it, they force that hand, then I will just I'll have to slowly get it out of here and it's part of recent efforts to remove entrenched encampments. On Thursday, a years-long unofficial RV encampment came to an end in Chilliwack, with a local First Nation evicting dozens of people from its land. And almost daily enforcement is carried out in Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park, the Premier making no apologies. Encampments are not safe. They're not a safe place to live. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. A waterside battle is brewing on the Sunshine Coast over the future of hundreds, maybe even thousands, of private docks. As Paul Johnson reports, this could be the beginning of many disputes if proposed changes to the B.C. Land Act go through. They'll have to be removed. 
completely, even this small one. We're taking a cruise through Pender Harbor with marina owner Bob Fielding, pointing out the dozens of docks and boathouses that he says may soon have to be removed or modified. This is his dock. He's always had a boat. It won't comply. Whether he can afford to change that, I don't know. No one is sure what the final number would be. But under a new dock management plan requested by the Seashell First Nation and expected to be enforced by the provincial government, hundreds of docks and boathouses, both on the ocean and in the region's freshwater lakes, would be affected. The policy changes because of ecological and archaeological concerns the First Nation has about the structures. It's going to cause havoc to any of the waterfront businesses that are in existence here right now. Sean McAllister is with the Pender Harbor and Area Residents Association. He says the environmental concerns about docks and boathouses haven't been made clear to many in the area. So all of the docks and boathouses that you see here, when they were put in, they followed all of the existing rules and regulations at the time. Residents here say they get it. Thinking about this kind of stuff has changed, but the more sensible approach would be to grandfather in these existing structures and then move forward with the new rules. The dispute is happening as the NDP government is rewriting the Land Act and expected to give more power to First Nations over land use on their traditional territory is to allow the government, after this new law is passed, to sign an agreement with First Nations that would give them uh, decision-making powers under the Land Act, so veto power under the Land Act. Many say that's long overdue, but others say if done improperly, it runs the risk of seeing issues like the Sunshine Coast dock dispute spread province-wide. Already a controversial sign campaign has sprung up on the coast and the province says some of the online commentary has been racist. We asked the Seashelt First Nation for comment on this story, but they declined. In Pender Harbor, Paul Johnson, Global News. Catalytic converter theft is considered an epidemic in the Lower Mainland, but one victim is getting more than his fair share. You won't believe how many times thieves have targeted his vehicle but it's making him an expert on the insurance paperwork and causing other hardships, too. That's next on the News Hour. Forget Punxsutawney Phil and Wyatt and Willie. Vancouver Island Violet is the official Groundhog Day prognosticator around here. And we'll see what she says about six more weeks of winter a little later. Also, well-known actor Carl Weathers dies with a lot of people fondly remembering his connection to BC. We'll talk more about that a little later too. Right now though we are learning new details today about a fatal Vancouver fire caused by an exploding e-bike battery. As Catherine Urquhart reports the widow of the victim is launching a civil suit against the battery manufacturer and other businesses. It was January 31st, 2022 when firefighters rushed to this downtown Vancouver apartment building. The quick-moving fire followed an explosion from a lithium-ion e-bike battery. I woke up in the early morning to the sound of screaming. Glass was falling on us as we were coming out the fire escape. The fire was on the fourth floor inside the apartment of Tim Lilly and his partner Kellyanne Sharples. He died and she narrowly escaped. She could not get out the door of, of the unit. She actually exited out the window and it does not have a balcony. It's a concrete structure and climbed to the unit next door. 
Now Sharples has filed lawsuits against several China-based e-bike manufacturers, along with the Ontario-based seller of the bike and charger, Daymac, and Surrey's Royer Batteries, which allegedly inspected and serviced the batteries, returning them less than a week before the fire. It further alleges that after the battery overheated, it was a terrifying scene. Jets of flaming gas venting from the tops of cells in the e-bike battery turned each into a tiny, unguided metal rocket, ejected from the battery pack by the explosion of neighboring cells or their own propulsion. These loose cells ricocheted around the room, igniting new fires and spreading the blaze rapidly and erratically, trapping the plaintiff. In 2022, half of all 10 fire deaths were attributed to rechargeable battery fires, according to Vancouver Fire Rescue. We have been seeing an increase in fire activity because of rechargeable batteries overall. Kellyanne Sharple's newly filed lawsuits claim the fatal fire that killed her husband was the result of the charging system sold by Daymac and Royer's failure to properly service the batteries. She's seeking compensation for loss, damages, and expenses. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, we've all heard how bad the problem of catalytic converter theft is, but one Surrey resident has it worse than most. He's without his car again after being hit for the fourth time. And as Janet Brown reports, he's adding his voice to the growing chorus calling for a better deterrent. Randy Morris will be doing a lot more walking after the catalytic converter under his SUV was stolen Thursday morning. I almost have no words at this point. That's because this is the fourth time he's had a catalytic converter stolen in the last few years. So I can't get to work now. I'm supposed to pick up my son today and have him for the weekend. Now, with no car parked on his street, the costs are starting to add up. Every time it happens, I have to pay the 300 deductible and the GST on the, on the repairs, so it's about $900 out of my pocket each time. Randy's SUV is now at Dale's Auto Service in Surrey, waiting for repairs. They're coming with a high-end Sawzall with a really high-end blade and basically cutting on both sides where the catalytic converter lives. Operations manager Jameson Smith says there is a solution to deter thieves. So this whole skid plate looking cover thing is actually protecting the two catalytic converters and is equipped with tamper-proof hardware. No thief is gonna be able to spend time underneath the vehicle to remove this and then cut cats out. They'll get caught. He says one catalytic converter can cost upwards of $7,000. Last year in 2023, we probably did close to 400 cat replacements. However, Surrey RCMP say there was a 76% decrease in catalytic converter thefts in quarter three last year, compared to the same time the year before. I'm really angry. Like something needs to be done on a provincial level. ICBC says the Ministry of Public Safety and Solicitor General is actively working to address the theft of catalytic converters in BC communities and is looking at future public engagement around the theft of valuable metals. Randy just hopes he can find another way to get to work as a painter. Very frustrating. While he waits for his vehicle to be repaired. Janet Brown, Global News. Just ahead, a silver lining from the recent fire in Steveston. Apparently the deals are very good, as you can see by the amazing lineup that we have here. The fire sale that led to some real bargains 
after the super grocer burned down. I'm going to show you the huge turnout for a fire sale of sorts in Steveston this morning. The super grocer destroyed by fire last week was offering big discounts on meats that were stored at its warehouse. Our Travis Prasad now has a follow-up on the fire. Maybe this is a sirloin roast. <laughs> this is a sirloin roast. This is the this is the shank. Annabelle Wee just bought more meat than she bargained for. You have enough space to store all of this? If I cut it up real small, <laughs> I don't know because like the struggle will be this one. This has got bone. She's one of many shoppers getting a hefty discount on meat as Steveston's super grocer holds a fire sale. I was walking by and saw my friends and decided to give them some cash that I had in my pocket that I was actually going to take to the casino today and actually buy some meat with it because apparently the deals are very good. If you can save a dollar nowadays, why not? Down the road from the sale is what remains of the super grocer, reduced to rubble after more than 40 years of serving the tight-knit community. Flames quickly ripped through the building on January 26th. Jeez. Fire crews successfully kept the flames from spreading to the restaurant next door. These are our walk-in freezers here, and there's only about four feet going between the walls there. But the Steveston Seafood House didn't get out unscathed. Took on a lot of water is what happened. So we got about four inches of water throughout the entire restaurant. The restaurant, in its 47th year of operation, now needs new floors and walls. Our front entrance, you see we had to rip up the carpet already. It's now closed, but that's not stopping customers from showing up. On day one, we had a crew of people here up and clean up right away and started remediating. Just customers, clients and friends and guests. The restaurant has 28 employees who now find themselves out of work. Shane Dagan plans to reopen by Mother's Day and hopes the community support continues then. My main concern is the the staff at the restaurant and just getting them back to work. Back at the meat sale, the level of loss still sinking in for longtime customers. It's quite sad because I've been coming here for like 20 years. Holding out hope, the super grocer will be rebuilt. Where am I going to get my post office? Where am I going to get, you know, my lotto cards for my dad? Where am I going to get the best flowers anywhere? Travis Prasad, Global News. Just ahead, a new study shows how a cancer diagnosis can impact a lot more than your health. Plus, a BC spin on Groundhog Day. What Van Isle Violet says we're in for. Coming up. A cancer diagnosis can mean months of worry for patients and their families as they go through treatment and recovery. But as Karen Lieberman reports, a new study shows financial stress adds to that burden. It was just a very turbulent time and I sort of had to put everything on hold. Max Silverman was 20 years old and applying to medical school when a sudden cancer diagnosis upended his life. I ended up getting this diagnosis of stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Ended up going through six months of chemotherapy. Silverman soon learned cancer would cost him both physically and emotionally, but also financially. Numbers from 2021 show people in Canada spend an average of $253 per month on out-of-pocket costs. Things like medications, caregiver expenses, and getting to appointments. Adjusted to 2023, that amount is estimated at $290 per month. This comes at a time when Canadians are already seeing their finances stretched. So we essentially... Um, asked Canadians how they would feel about paying the average cost uh, of an out-of-pocket cost for a cancer diagnosis. We found that about 90% of people said that a sudden cancer diagnosis would have significant impacts on their personal finances. 
The survey by the Canadian Cancer Society and Angus Reid Group also found 30% of respondents said they would go into debt to pay for the out-of-pocket costs of a cancer diagnosis. 10% said they'd need to ask for support to be able to cover the costs. And 63% said the financial burden would have a significant impact on their stress and mental health. And in Ontario specifically, you know, it's things like... Uh, universal access to take-home cancer drugs. We really need, uh, you know, job-protected leave to be increased as well. For Max, who plans to bring his past experience as a patient to a future career in healthcare, the message is simple. Advocate to those in government that can make policies, that can make it easier for these people um, and people like myself. Karen Lieberman, Global News. Coming up, the NHL goes back to the Winter Olympics. The deal between the league and the IOC that'll have the best players in the world battling for gold. And a well-known retailer returns to Canada, how HMV is hoping to cash in on nostalgia. Today is Groundhog Day, and North America's most famous furry prognosticators, Wyatt and Willie and Punxsutawney Phil, have made their predictions for an early spring. But wait, my winter-loving friends, their BC counterpart, Vancouver Island Violet, apparently disagrees. Malcolm is indicating she has seen her shadow. Impressive, really. Violet just looks sleepy to me, but Malcolm is the expert and in the room. Six more weeks of winter. Violet lives at the Mount Washington Marmot Recovery Center, where the groundhog relatives are being bred for release back into the wild. They are considered highly endangered. According to folklore, if the groundhog, or marmot in this case, sees its shadow on February 2nd, we're in for six more weeks of winter. Violet, by the way, is two for two in her predictions so far. So yes, there is hope for skiers and snowboarders. And for the real details, let's go to Christy Gordon with the forecast. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Well, I wanted to say, I mean, it is possible that we have an early spring. I mean, it is an El Nino year. It's what we've seen so far. And this would give us a good indication as well. So the plants are a little confused. That last week of very warm, wet weather felt like spring for the plants. The buds are coming out on the trees. Um, I had shots of the tulips coming out as well. Um, I just want to quickly show this photo from William Galis. Thanks, William, for sharing this photo. There was a double rainbow at one point today, and there was one yesterday as well. Uh, so thank you so much, Will, for sharing photos with us as you've done it a few times. Um, looking into the long range, talking about uh, you know whether spring is going to be arriving or whether we have more winter. Well, I want to give everyone some assurances. We had been advertising that it looked really dry in the long range. That pattern is now starting to change. Temperatures are still expected to drop as we head into next week, but we've got much more moisture in the forecast. So skiers, snowboarders, don't put away your skis and snowboards just yet. We We've got more winter on the way. All right, here's a look at our weekend, though. Mainly cloudy across southern BC, not as much across Vancouver Island. Snow, though, for the mountain passes throughout the day tomorrow, and that means rainfall for lower down. I want to ever let everyone know that Pine Pass has the possibility of ice tonight because it's been very mild, there's a lot of water on the ground, and now it's going to freeze. Lots of sunshine for the northern regions, mainly cloudy across the south. Periods of rain in the southeast. We're expecting a fair amount of cloud earlier in the day. Breaks of blue sky for Vancouver Island. 
Island and for western sections of Metro Vancouver. Overall, though, dry for our day, although we may see a little bit of drizzle. Still some cloud cover in the forecast for Sunday, but yes, looking into next week, that drop in temperature still expected with a bit of moisture in store for us. All right, tonight's central windows weather window. Another photo of the rainbow. This one from last night. As the sun was setting, you can see the darker sky. That is a stunning shot. Alan Wright sharing that with us from Walnut Grove. Chris, that is you. very cool. And thank you. Yes, Will will be thrilled that you ran his photo as well. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. Okay, a popular name in music retail is coming back to Canada in a unique way. HMV closed all its stores in Canada back in 2017 after filing for bankruptcy, but the brand is now being resurrected at Toys R Us stores. It's similar to how Zellers was brought back by Hudson's Bay with a store within a store concept. The stores will offer CDs and an even older format that's hugely popular again vinyl records, even record players. Five pop-up stores have already debuted in Ontario and more are expected later this spring. Big news in hockey, specifically Olympic hockey. Today, Squire joins us with more. Yes, it was uh, an announcement. All the players, they really wanted this and I think all the fans wanted to hear as well. NHL players to participate in the 2026 and 2030 Olympics. We have seen NHL players at the World Championships every year, but they have not been at the Olympics since 2014. Look forward to more on that. Also coming up, don't miss satellite debris. Most of the NHL getting a rest right now, but not the All-Stars. No, and uh, tonight is skills competition night, and uh, there are the games tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The four teams will play a tournament against each other. Team Hughes, in fact, you're going to see the photo right there, Team Hughes. Although I think if you look, Michael Bublé has his eyes closed in the photo. <laughs> He's the one right beside Quinn Hughes. Anyway, uh, tonight is the skills competition, uh, various different disciplines, and there are only three Canucks in this. Uh, J.T. Miller, Elias Pettersson, and Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser, and Elias Lindholm did not partake, and Thatcher Demko was involved as a goalie, obviously. So let's begin. Quinn Hughes was in the fastest skater competition. This competition freaks me out, because what happens if a guy blows a tire on the corner and slams into the boards? They do have pads there, but bad things could still happen. Anyway, Quinn Hughes was third in this event, 14.088 seconds. I mean, he's a great skater, but he's more shifty than speed. This is the guy who's all about the speed. He's also shifty. Connor McDavid, who, of course, has now won this event three times. Well, actually make it four times. He had won it three times. Now he's won it four times. He was just under a second faster than Quinn Hughes. Connor Bedard, with the broken jaw and all, showed up. Looking pretty good. He was a passer in this one-timer event. There's uh, Elias Pettersson. Finished fourth in this event. There were seven players in it. JT Miller was in it. He tied for fifth. Nathan McKinnon of the Avalanche won this event. The Canucks did get a win in this event, which I have to say was one of the most boring ones to watch. The passer accuracy. You drive, you skate around, you hit these little boxes. Anyway, Pedersen won. Good for him. Hardest shot, JT Miller. 
102.3 miles per hour, finished second. Kale McCarr of the Avalanche right there was the winner in that one. Stick handling event. Elias Pedersen started well, but eventually lost an edge. Whoa. See, that's what you don't want to have happen in that fastest skater competition. Accuracy shooting. Check out Connor McDavid. Four targets in 9.158 seconds. Uh-huh. This is easy. This is real easy. Yes, I know. And then this shootout event where each player, there were eight players left, would pick a goalie. You couldn't pick your own goalie. So Austin Matthews picked Thatcher Demko, and Demko made six saves out of ten shots from uh, Austin Matthews and it's still going on. Uh, Winnipeg was one of those teams interested in Elias Lindholm, but of course the Canucks got him out of Calgary. So instead they made a deal with Montreal to get center Sean Monaghan. The Haz will get a first round pick this year and a third round pick in 2027. This move gives the Jets more depth at center, a second line guy behind their main center, Mark Scheifele. And the LA Kings have fired head coach Todd McClellan and replaced him with Jim Hiller. Born in Port Alberni, and you might remember he used to coach the old Chilliwack Bruins of the Western League. Uh, as for McClellan, he and the Kings started great. They were one of the top teams at Christmas, and then they just fell apart in the month of January. He is a sixth coach to be fired this season. So the NHL has finally made a deal with the Lords of the Rings. NHL players will play in the Winter Olympics in 2026 and 2030. The NHL has not sent players to the Olympics since 2014 when we won gold in Sochi because of issues with the IOC. It mostly had to do with the cost of housing the players, the insurance for the players, and also the NHL wants to use highlights of the games on NHL platforms, which the IOC wouldn't allow before. But those issues have been ironed out. The 2026 Olympics will be in Italy. There's actually no host yet for 2030, but it'll likely be France. Also, next year, instead of an all-star game, there will be a four-nation tournament. Now, not all the NHL players will play because only four nations, four nations, Canada, the U.S., Sweden, and Finland, and down the road, there will be another World Cup. Our intention in terms of an international calendar is to go to the Olympics in 2026, two years later, play a World Cup, two years after that, go to the Olympics in 2030, and two years after that, play a World Cup. That's the cycle we want to get on. So next year, the BC Hockey League won't be exclusively BC. Five teams from Alberta will have left the Alberta Junior League and they'll join up with the BCHL, which means there will be 22 teams in the BCHL, or whatever they're going to call it, because they might have to change the name before next season. But they will also not only have to change the name, they'll have to change the divisions as well. It certainly is um, our intention to make sure that we're not having Alberta teams having to travel to Vancouver Island a lot. You know, we, we want to make sure that we do what we do now is try and keep the divisions in, a, in an alignment where it makes sense fiscally. Uh, you know, we're in a league that doesn't make money. Uh, we're in a league that doesn't charge their players. Uh, so we have to keep our costs down and we'll do that with whatever alignment we come up with. But at the end of the day, it's about getting kids on the ice and getting them college commitments. And if we can do that, we've done our job. 
And sad news today, Carl Weathers, who was Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies and recently Grief Karga in The Mandalorian, along with a lot of other roles he had over the years, died today at the age of 76. But as you can see by the picture beside me, Carl Weathers was also a BC Lions linebacker from 1971 to 1973 before he quit football and became an actor, number 55 for the BC Lions. Recovered a fumble, didn't play a lot, but recovered one fumble in his career. And he was, he talked about how much he enjoyed being in. Yeah, Vancouver. well, in the off season, when he was with the Lions, he would take acting lessons at college. Cool. There you go. All right, thanks very much. We're back with Satellite Debris next. Stick around. A lot of people wouldn't know it, but we got a glimpse of the inventor of satellite debris yes, in the newscast. We just did. So Chris <laughs> Hebb, who now runs the BC Hockey League, used to work here as a producer and an occasional anchor. And I remember, I think it was 1995, going back, who said, I got this idea for this thing called satellite debris. What do you think? <laughs> it's become well, still iconic. Still here. Hmm. So Chris Hebb invented it. There you go. Uh, we're going to start out with uh, something from Kawasaki. And since this started in the 90s, I guess in the 90s, the mullet was uh, in fashion, I think. It's coming back. Yeah, unfortunately. Kawasaki Ridge. I want one. <laughs> Have you ever uh, what, a mullet or a Kawasaki Ridge? Both. Oh. A mullet. <laughs> that would be, would be tragic, actually. Yeah. Okay. Do it, so, Chris. Um, I always thought radishes were sort of the most sort of neglected vegetable, mm -hmm. but apparently Jif mm -hmm. says it's celery. Happy that was quite something. It's a happy end. 
something. <laughs> Spec Savers from the UK, next. Super Bowl commercials on the way. Yeah, that's right. Won't be long now. Last word quick before we go, Christy. Sure. So we certainly will see some cloud cover this weekend, but overall dry and um, great news in the long range for the skiers and snowboarders. All right. Sounds good. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for watching.